Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, thank you so much for being here today. Um, welcome to those who are worshiping online with us. Um, if we could just take a minute to say hello to people around you, especially if you haven't seen someone uh, for a week or so, uh, let's just turn real quick and, and, and just say hello. Say, hey, it's lovely to see you. It's great to see you. Um, hope you're doing well. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, we are in the middle of a... Uh, kind of at the back end of a sermon series as we go through the book of Proverbs. We've been trying to figure out what it looks like to live a life of wisdom as we go through this book. And as we come up until come up to um, the week before Thanksgiving, so, um, we're going to finish up this series next week. But um, today I want to talk about maybe an issue that, gosh, it's a sin, definitely. It's one of what the ancients called one of the seven deadly sins. It's a uh, deep and... Uh, surgical procedure to uproot this sin from our lives. I want to talk about pride. And so I want to begin with a test, um, an eye test, if you will, uh, a, a, just a test to see how much we are aware of our struggle with pride, okay? <laughs> so uh, a bunch of questions. Just want you to answer in your head as these are signs of pride within our lives. Do you find it hard to admit when you're wrong? When you're wrong, you find it hard to admit. Uh, do you find that you don't want to associate, someone failed the test already, do you find that you don't want to associate with people who don't live up to your standards? Whatever the standard, that's your standard of socioeconomic status, your um, vocational, like where you stand on the, on the corporate ladder, uh, I don't know, if just your morality, your spirituality, uh, your education level, hard to associate. You don't want to associate with people who don't meet your standards. Do you think you deserve the best always and that you always need to be the best? Uh, do you want to be the center of attention? Do you put others down to lift yourself up and make yourself look better? Do you get impatient with the faults of other people? Do your feelings get hurt easily? Do you not want to ask for help because you think you can do the job better than others? Are your conversations filled with I? Are you impatient when you have to listen, when you have to wait, when you have to be served, or you have to be led by somebody else? Is it hard for you to laugh at your mistakes? Is it hard to pass a mirror or a window without looking into it to see your reflection? Do you like to drop names of people you know and find pride in your relationships? Do you fail to consider the needs of others and only think about your own needs? Are you easily offended if you don't get thanked for what you do? Do you not pray because you can do it on your own? Do you take responsibility personally for your successes, your accomplishments, your prosperity? Are you stubborn and don't like to be corrected? And do you often feel underappreciated? How'd you do? Anyone? I answered yes to at least one of these questions. Okay, good, good, good. So at least we're coming in on the same page. Like, we need to hear this message. This word about pride, um, God has a lot to say about pride. Um, we're going to talk about a lot of things, but we're not going to look at every verse, obviously, in it. But uh, we do want to hear what God's Word has to say about pride, because the world tells us a certain thing about pride. God says a certain thing about pride. We want to hear what God says in order that we might align our lives with His, because that's where we find life and blessing and truth. Proverbs 6 is where we'll begin, verses 16 and 17. 
We're going to look at about four or five different passages here today. Um, and if you go through the book of Proverbs, you will see that there's a ton of Proverbs that talk about pride. We're not going to obviously get to deal with all of them for fear of redundancy and for the sake of, of time. But I do want you to look at these uh, verses that we look at and give an honest hearing because they will give a pretty good, clear picture of what the Bible in general and what Proverbs in particular, wisdom literature, has to say about the nature of pride in our lives and God's view of it and its effects on us. Proverbs 6, verses 16, and then we're just going to read two verses, two words in verse 17. This is God's word. It says, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, the first of them. Let me read again, 16, and then the first two words of verse 17. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, haughty eyes. And this is the Word of God and goes on to talk about six other things here. But this is God's Word. Three thoughts today that I want to bring out today. Here's the first one. Pride is an eye disease, okay? It's a disease of the eyes, that affects everything that you see. Okay, pride is an eye disease that affects, that impacts, checkers, everything that you see. It says here that God hates six things, seven things that are detestable to Him, and He lists them. And in that list, the first of these seven is He hates haughty eyes. That's not a word we use often. Uh, well, I'll explain what that is, but here's what you have to know. In a lot of cases, in most cases, when we talk about someone's eyes as a description, hey, tell me about, tell me about, tell me about Mr. Jason, tell me about Miss Sarah, tell me about Miss Dorothy, whoever it is, when you tell me about their eyes, what do you say? Well, she's got big eyes, or he's got little eyes, or she's got cross eyes, or he's got four eyes. We talk about it in the way, in, as a description of their eyes and what they look like. You, you might hear in, in some famous songs, Van Morrison talked about a girl that he loved, a brown-eyed girl. Kelly Clarkson talks about the tears behind these hazel eyes. It was Frank Sinatra, they called him old blue eyes. Usually when we talk about someone's eyes, we're talking about the way that they look. But here when God talks about eyes in the Word of God, he's not talking about the way they look, he's talking about the way that they see. And what God detests not brown-eyed girls or old blue eyes, but God detests haughty eyes. What in the world is that? It's the last time you used the word haughty. <laughs> well, my friend, uh, you should really date him or her. He's a haughty. That's what you might have said before, but that's not what he's talking about. Like the eyes of a haughty he hates. No, it's not haughty, haughty eyes is what he's talking about here. What does that even mean? Well, literally, I mean, if you want a word, one word definition, it means prideful eyes. Eyes that look out and are filled with pride. It's not about what they look like, it's about what they see. The Hebrew language of the word haughty means, again, a one-word definition, majesty. In other words, a haughty person longs for the majesty that is devoted to kings in general. Haughty eyes in particular long for the glory that is reserved only for the truly majestic one, our God. In other words, this is what God hates, the eyes that look out at the world and say, I deserve to be like God. That's what pride is, at least in a biblical sense. It's you wanting to be like God. Let me explain it this way. A few years, actually not a few years, a few decades ago, there was a song 
written by a man named Jack Hayford that maybe only older people, like 30 and up, would know. It's a song called Majesty, not like, Majesty, your grace has found me just as I... That was about, like, older, about 15 years ago, Matt Redmond. There's an even older one called Majesty. It says, uh, Majesty, worship His majesty unto Jesus, be all glory, honor, and praise. Right? Majesty, kingdom authority flows around the throne unto his own, his anthem rates. So exalt, lift up on high the name of Jesus. Magnify, come glorify Christ Jesus, our King. And some of you may know that. Some of you are like, ah, oh, you know, this was my groove back when I was like 15 years old. What he's saying in that song is that's the desire of the haughty, prideful heart. Majesty, worship my majesty. Unto me, unto Rene, unto Isaac, unto Tiago, be all glory, honor, and praise. So exalt, lift up on high the name of DL. Magnify, come glorify me, your king. You may not say that out loud, but that's the heartbeat of haughtiness. That's the heartbeat of pride. And it's saying these are the things that God hates. In other words, pride in its essence is trying to replace God on the throne of my life and on the throne of my world. When you are a prideful person, rather than seeking the glory of God to be manifest in the world, you seek the glory of your name to be manifest in the world. Rather than seeking God's fame to spread throughout the earth, you want your fame to spread throughout the earth, that everyone would not know the name of Jesus, but that everyone would know your name. Is that you? Is that why you do the things that you do? Is that why you want to be so popular on TikTok? Is that why you want to get the best grades and get into that school? Is that why you want to make a lot of money? Is it the name of Jesus to be exalted, or is it your own name that you are seeking to exalt? That's the heart of pride, and God's Word says there are six things the Lord hates. There are seven that are detestable to him, and one of these things is through pride, we try to replace God. We become the center of our lives instead of him. Well, what does that mean? At the center of pride is a great big I, and at the center of sin is a great big I. It means that we are the center of it all. You are the center of your universe, and that's all you can see. When you're looking at yourself, this is why it's an eye problem, and it checkers everything you see. When you're only looking at yourself, you don't have time to look at other people. You certainly don't have time to look at God, and that's one of the telltale signs of pride is you don't see the needs of other people. You don't see the needs and concerns of God. You only think about yourself. Oh, Lord, it's so hard to see when my eyes are on me. Is this how... You live. It's all about my name, my fame, my reputation, my kingdom, my desires, my wants, my longings instead of the needs, longings, desires of God or anybody else. What does that look like? Here, here's what it looks like. Four practical ways. Pride is self-centered. It's self-centered. You become the center of everything. Here's how you know. Well, when you're on a Zoom meeting, okay, you're on a Zoom meeting, a self-centered person doesn't look at other people right? doesn't have a gallery view, doesn't have a speaker view. Uh, if you're not the speaker, it only looks at themselves. Is that you? Like you're constant. You, you can tell someone's like this because they're always like fixing their hair. They're not fixing their hair if they're looking at somebody else. They're looking at themselves, right? 
self-centered, like I'm only thinking of myself. When you come into worship today, guys, when you come into worship today, okay, how was your experience of worship? Is about you and about your worship that you give to God because I want to make God happy, or is it about how I worship and how I feel as a result of it? Because there's a way for us to make worship and about Christianity making it about us instead of about God. That's what a prideful person does. That's what Steve Shogren says. That's the difference between a cat and a dog. And you've heard this before, maybe. But here's what a dog says. A dog says, oh, my goodness. They look at their master. You know what? You pet me. You feed me. You care for me. You love me. The dog looks up and says, master, you must be God. Not so with a cat. Cat says, you pet me. You feed me. You care for me. You love me. Dang, I must be God. The difference between a cat and a dog, and it's a difference between the proud and the humble. Are you more like a dog? God, because you forgive me, because you love me, because you died for me, because you care for me, you protect me, you must be God worthy of all of my worship. Or are you, God, you love me, you gave your son for me, you saved me, you gave me life, you gave me hope, I must be awesome. Wow. It's easy to take the same thing and to twist it into become something that it was never meant to be. But pride is intensely self-centered. Not only is it self-centered, it's self-obsessed. It's obsessed with the self. Not only do they constantly cast glances at themselves on Zoom, but they have pinned their own video so that their own video is all that they see. You do that? Or do you look at that picture? Someone posts a picture, oh, like five of you, party of five, right? Fantastic five, best friends forever, greatest moment of my life. And everyone is like having all this, this great fun and there's like a geyser from Yellowstone Park going off behind you. Everyone's like, amazing picture, amazing photo. And you look and all you can see is, gosh, why did I stand like that? Like all you can see. And you're like, hey, guys, guys, can we take that picture down? Like I look so ugly in that picture. And they're like, are you kidding? It's the only picture we got. It's the only one with a geyser, with Old Faithful going off. It's the only one. Just take it down, please. That's self-centeredness, but self-obsession is you can't stop thinking about that picture. Oh, my gosh, like, why do I look like? I can't believe I'm so dumb. Why did I do that? Because pride is constantly wanting to make much of yourself and wanting to be seen as awesome and big and majestic more than it is about wanting to make God or anybody else big or glorious or majestic. It's all about ourselves. Can I tell you something? Let's get a little, I just want to make it a little bit warmer in here this fine November day. This selfie culture and social media has made us extremely self-centered and self-obsessed. The word selfie, the first person, I looked this up, the first person to use this word selfie was an Australian man in 2002, took a picture of himself with a busted nose, and he said, sorry for this is out of focus, it was a selfie. First time. But in 2013, it came into our modern popular vocabulary when Oxford Dictionary started talking about it. But selfies, 2013, people started really getting into selfies with the advent of the smartphone. Did you know before this, like in your parents' generation, like my generation, there was no such thing as a selfie. We never did things like that. You know what we did? We took pictures of other people. We took pictures of places. We took pictures of ourselves with other people. We'd ask somebody else to take it. There was no conception in our mind that we would hold up our Fujifilm camera or a Polaroid and take a picture of ourselves to look at what we look like. That's weird. That's crazy. And, and because some of us young people are so immersed in, us young people are so immersed in this kind of selfie culture, you, you can't critique it unless you're outside of it. That's why your parents are like, what are you doing? Like, why do you do that? 
Because people from outside of your own worldview, culture, look at it, they're like, that is so bizarre. In what kind of a strange world do people take pictures of themselves and have like millions of pictures of themselves on their own phone so that they remember what they look like? That's weird. But here's the stranger thing. Here's what, here's the stranger thing. That what we do with these pictures that we take of ourselves is then we put them up for other people to look at under our name just in case you forgot what I look like so that other people can say, I like your picture. I like that picture. Beautiful picture. This is how self-obsessed we have become as a people. Why else do we put up photos than for people to say, oh, maybe it's to teach them, hey, you know what, this is, these are the like, cool new clothes that you can buy also like from this store called Gap. But most of us, it's not like that. Why do we have to, hey, uh, what do I do with my hands? I'll just put up two fingers. Because we're, this is awkward. Like, it's awkward taking pictures of ourselves. Hey, what should I do? Should I, uh, let's make a duck face, because then people will think it's about the duck face, not about me. There's a subtlety to this pride that we don't even see sometimes. Because we are a culture that is obsessed with ourselves. Think about the difference between this generation and the selfie generation. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Tell me how beautiful. Tell me how awesome. Tell me how many weights I'm lifting, how big my muscles have become. Tell me about this awesome car that I'm driving. Tell me how good I am. Versus the generations that left everything in their homelands to come in order to give the next generation a future and a hope and a life that was better. The sacrifices that were made by a generation that goes to war to fight in order that the freedoms of people outside of their own lives and families could be protected. Pride is not only self-centered, it is self-obsessed. Oh, Lord, it's so hard to see when my eyes are on me. But pride is also self-conscious. Pride isn't just, hey, guys, look how awesome I am. Let me puff out my chest and show you my peacock feathers because this is how awesome I am. Pride is, some, is sometimes it's not like that. Pride is the opposite. I don't want to show. I want to hide. Why? Why do you have so many pictures on your phone that you end up deleting? Because you don't look the way that you want to and because people are not going to like those photos. Because people are not going to tell you how awesome you are. They're not going to tell you how beautiful you are. They're not going to tell you that the diet is working. They're not going to tell you that the workout, they're going to ask you, bro, do you even lift? Why, all the, why are there so many pictures like that on our phone that we end up deleting? Because we're self-conscious. <laughs> because if people saw that part of me, then they wouldn't really make much of me then this grand vision that I want to portray of how great and awesome I am will come crumbling down like a house of cards because I don't want people to see the puniness of my worth. It's not only self-centered, self-obsessed, self-conscious. It's also self-reliant. Do you have a difficult time listening to other? You'll read this throughout Proverbs. Listening to the wisdom, the counsel, the advice of other people. Because what do they know? They're old-fashioned. What do my parents know? They haven't lived in my shoes. What do they know? They don't even have a smartphone. What do they know? They don't know what I'm going through. Proverbs says, hey, this is the, the pinnacle of folly to shut out the advice of other people. Might be bad advice, but we listen and we realize that's bad advice but you don't automatically shut it down. How do you know you're self-reliant? Do you pray? 
When's the last time you prayed for something in your life? I don't, I don't need God to get through that. I don't need God to get through this interview. I don't need God to get through this season of life. I don't need God to fix this relationship. I can do it on my own. How's that working out? How's that going for us? Self-reliance. Pride is all about the self. It's a disease of the eyes. My kids have been watched this movie called Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, where this dad gets this like electromagnetic machine and mistakenly shrinks his family so they're like this tiny. Right? Pride is that incredible shrinking machine that has a way of blowing ourselves up so that everybody else, including God, becomes a lot smaller. It's an eye disease that affects everything that we see. So God becomes snack size, pocket size, put him in our pocket, take him out when we need him, and people become fun size only to be used when we need something to use. It's so hard to see when our eyes are on me. How are you doing in the area of pride? It's the first thing that we see. It's an eye disease. And if you don't heal that, it's going to checker everything in our lives, toxic to our soul. It's the first thing that we see. Second thing that we see, it doesn't get better. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Second thing we see is that God hates pride. Okay, God hates pride because it ruins relationships. Well, in 6.16, it says there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to Him. That's pretty strong words. Like God hates pride. Maybe we can soften it a little bit. Let's try to soften it in 16 verse 5. Proverbs 16, verse 5, another verse about God's thoughts on pride. It says, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. Well, it doesn't get much better. God's view of pride is clear, that he hates it. It's an abomination. It is detestable to him. Literally, it's a stench that rises up to the heavens. This makes me want to go and pray and repent right now. God, I'm sorry for the pride in my heart that causes my worship to be tainted with not the sweet aroma, a pleasing fragrance to you, but of the stench of human pride rising up to the throne of God. I remember a few years, well, when I was in college, I'm not, I, I, again, I couldn't think of why I had to do this, but I lived downstairs with my friends Tommy and Chris, and upstairs, two floors above, were uh, some of my, my, my best friends, Sam, Thomas, Gene, and Wonsuck. They lived upstairs, two floors up. And uh, I loved those guys, but whenever we hung out, we'd always hang out at my place because their place was like filthy. It was like a pigsty. Sometimes, like randomly, randomly, like in the middle of the, the day or the night, people would knock on our door, people that we're our, our, our friends or people from our campus ministry, our church, and they would say, hey, and we'd say, hey, come on in. They're like, yeah, we just want to use your bathroom because we're hanging up, out upstairs, and their bathroom was just, I can't use it, so I had to come down here. So they'd use our bathroom, and then they'd go upstairs. I remember, for, for whatever reason, one day I decided that I was going to clean out their their kitchen, uh, me and, and, and somebody else. I don't even remember who it was, but we're cleaning out the kitchen and opened up the refrigerator, and it was just like, it was like a zoo in there, like a literal zoo. There, there seemed to be living creatures in that thing, things that shouldn't have been growing in there, living in there. It was like, it was nasty, filthy. And so I was like, ooh, I don't know if I want to touch those things. So I said, I'll start with what I know. So I looked at the milk carton, carton of milk, cardboard carton of milk, and the sell-by date was four months ago, 
four months ago. I was like, I don't know why this is in the, in the, even in the refrigerator. Why do they even have this? So I took it out, and I was going to just dump it down the, down the sink. And so I tried to open the carton, and, you know, usually it should open pretty easily, the mouth of the carton, but it was so crusted that it was making all kinds of noise as I opened it. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is nasty. And immediately this smell came out. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is like, it smells like, I don't, I don't even want to say what it smells like. So I started pouring it down the drain, and I, I realized, wow, this is like really, it's coming out super slow. So I opened up the entire carton, right, from the top, and I was pouring it, and after the milk came out, this stuff had coagulated into a solid. Milk is not supposed to be a solid unless it's frozen. But after four months, it had gone from, so, from liquid to solid state, and pouring it out, it was like clumps of like tofu were coming out of that thing. I was like, this is not right. But the worst thing about it was the smell was like something had died many, 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 many times over in there. It was like sour cream, sour feet, sour, all kinds of nastiness that were rising up. And I said, I cannot do this. So I, I, I covered my nose and I put the, the, the milk carton in the trash can. I ran out of there and said, I cannot do this anymore. I'm sorry, guys. I love you, but I can't do this. It was the most horrific, and even right now, I feel my sinuses clearing as I think about that, how putrid that smell was. Proverbs is saying that's the smell of a prideful heart rising to the throne of God, that it causes a human to gag, and it causes God to think of all kinds of strange thoughts because God detests the proud. How are we doing in the area of pride? There's a lot of reasons why God detests pride. For one, it robs him of the worship that's due his name, but it's not like God is afraid of that. He's not like, oh my gosh, somebody's going to think that you are bigger than me. That's not, God's not self-conscious or insecure or afraid in that sense. But he knows that when you and I worship something other than him, we're selling ourselves short. And for God to see that in love, he must demand that we worship him who we're made for because that's where we come alive. Not when we worship money, ourselves, other people. But another reason why, and a huge reason why God detests pride, well, Hebrews, I'm sorry, Proverbs 13.10. Proverbs 13.10, this is what it says. It says, pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. The reason God hates pride is because it ruins your relationships. Look at what it says, pride only breeds quarrels. When you have pride, the only result of pride is that there's going to be quarreling. Okay, pride is going to lead to quarreling. Pride is going to, if you've got pride, then right behind it is quarreling. If you've got pride right behind it, you've got ruined relationships. That's what he's saying. Guys, with every other sin, this is why people like from, from Augustine to C.S. Lewis said pride is the sin, uh, sin of all sins because every sin can be traced back to this. Not only was it the original sin in the garden, but every sin can be traced back to it. He says it is destructive in so many ways, but pride ruins human relationships because it makes you big and it makes other people small and you cannot relate to people in that way. 
Um, yeah, in Mere Christianity, um, C.S. Lewis has this chapter called The Greatest Sin or The Worst Sin or something like that. Uh, it's all about pride, and it's like maybe eight or nine pages. It is well worth reading. It is excellent, phenomenal, phenomenal. But in it, he says, pride is only pride because you're looking at yourself in comparison to other people. Pride is not something that you have if you're sitting by yourself somewhere. Unless you can, you can as long as you're not, uh, but it's always because you're thinking about other. You could be sitting in a monastery all by yourself, and you could still be thinking, you know what, I'm so much better than other people. I'm more spiritual than other people. I wonder if people in the world are struggling with COVID. I wonder if people in the world are praying the way that I'm praying. Because, you see, pride always has to compare itself to other people. And where pride is, quarreling is the end result of it. Every other sin, guys, every other sin, you can build a community around that. Like, if you have lust, you can build a community around lust. A lot of parties in college are like that. If you have hatred, you can, get, you can, you can rally people around a common hatred for something. We hate... X, Y, Z, and then let's form a group of the anti-whatever club, a laziness club. Let's form a laziness club. A procrastinate, we'll, we'll form it tomorrow, but we don't have to do it. But, but we can form a club. You can form a community around every other sin, but around pride. It says here, what pride does, eventually it'll separate people. It divides people because it's constantly comparing yourself to other people. Why do, you, why do people think, oh, my gosh, you know what? I'm so much better than other people. Why is there so much pride in them over the fact that they've got a lot of money? The, you're, not, you're not prideful because you're a millionaire. You're prideful because you're a millionaire and other people are not. If you have a million dollars, which is a ton of money, but other people have $2 million, you're not going to be prideful about that. You're not going to be prideful. You might be self-conscious in that pride, but it's constantly about comparing yourself with other people. The prideful person is not proud because they've got a lot of money. They're proud, proud because they've got a lot of money compared to other people. The good-looking person isn't prideful because he or she is good-looking. They're prideful because they're better-looking than somebody else. The prideful person isn't prideful because he or she has a Ferrari. He or she is prideful because they have a Ferrari and nobody else does. If everyone else had a Ferrari, then you wouldn't be so prideful. Because here's what pride does. It's constantly comparing yourself to other people. And when you do, you continue to sow that. Eventually, pride breeds quarrels. It only breeds quarrels. It's all it does. Think about the relational strife that you've had with people. You can say it's because of this, that, or the other, but at the end, if you excavate deep enough, you dig deep enough, it's going to come down to pride. Think of all of the sins that separate people, bitterness. Why are you so bitter towards them? If you dig down deep, well, they did what was wrong. They didn't. They should have done this because we think we're better than they are and they need to make that first move or because they didn't give us something that we deserved. They trashed me online. They owe me something. My sense of worth has been diminished. Therefore, I can be bitter towards them. At the heart of it, what is it? It's pride. It's pride. Why are you envious of people? Why are you envious about that guy who got the new girlfriend? Because you're looking at them and you're thinking, you know what? They don't deserve that. I should have gotten a girl like that. I'm better than they are. Because at the heart of it, it's pride. You can go down the list of sins that affect your relationships. At the heart of it, why do you gossip about people? Why do you talk about them? Why do you slander other people? Like, why do, why do you do it? Because in some way, it's not just, guys, I want to tell you about this person. You need to know this. No. 
because I want to talk about them in order that I might make them look smaller in order that I might look a little bigger. Whether that's to you or to myself, it doesn't matter. But at the heart of all of these relational sins comes down to pride. It's not about me wanting the honor of God. It's about me wanting the honor of me. And in our deepest, most intimate relationships, pride always drives a wedge between us. That's why when I get into an argument with Olive, I always want to bring out the blame game because even though I'm wrong, I want her to know that she's more wrong. And it's this insidious sin of pride that keeps me stubbornly holding on to my thought and my opinion, unwillingness to, unwilling to go to her and to say, I was wrong and I'm sorry, please forgive me for my pride, my blaming, my X, Y, Z. It's why in my relationship with my kids, even though they're wrong, I need to exercise my right to show them that I'm the boss, not you. When in reality, I'm not upset because they broke God's eternal decree and hurt the reputation and the name of fame of God in our family. I'm upset because they offended me and my reputation and my sense of worth and my kingdom was shaken in my house. That's why I get upset with them. That's why I have a difficult time loving my parents sometimes. Not because they're doing anything that's breaking the rule of God, but because some of my own rules that I've created for how life ought to be have been broken and impinged upon, and because I want my name to be exalted in my life and in our family. How many sports teams, how many bands, how many families, how many marriages, how many parent-child relationships have been broken and ruined because of the sin, sin of pride? How many of your relationships right now are on the fritz, on the rocks because of pride in your heart. You're unwilling to do what humility dictates, what God dictates you do in order to bring healing and restoration to these relationships. The reason God hates pride, for many reasons, because it ruins your relationships. And Jesus said that's the most important thing in this life, guys. It's your relationship with God. Pride will keep you from a relationship with God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the ones who realize I've got nothing, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. There's certain gifts, guys, that can only be accepted by humbly acknowledging your reality. Your relationship with God cannot move forward if there's pride in your heart. Your relationship with people cannot move forward because pride seeks to ruin relationships, drive a wedge, and to separate that which God seeks to bring together. Pride's a disease of the eyes that affects everything we see, and God hates it because it ruins our relationships. The last thing, kid, last thing, pride will destroy you unless you deal with it. Guys, the Bible cannot be more clear that pride will destroy you unless you deal with it. Look at what it says, Proverbs 16. Verse 18, Proverbs 16, 18, makes it clear what I've said. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. There's pride in your life, then sure to come, unless you deal with that, is destruction. You've got a spirit that longs for the majesty that belongs to God alone. 
and you're Humpty Dumpty sitting on a wall just waiting for a great fall to come. Where there is pride, where there is haughtiness, destruction, falling, failure are not far behind. That's what he says. Verse 5, again, look at what it says. Uh, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Either be humble or you'll take a tumble. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Be humble or prepare to stumble. That's, what it was. That's the way it was in the Garden of Eden. First sin, right? Genesis 3, what was it? God says, eat everything, everything, everything you can have. But there's just one tree right here, one tree. Everything is yours, just one tree. What did Satan say? What was his sales pitch? No, 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 no. All those things are good, but here's, this is the magic bullet right here. You eat this, you will be like God. It's pride, the center. You eat this, you'll be like God. And Adam and Eve ate, and all that was broken and sinful entered into this world. That pitch sound familiar? Well, it's the only one Satan knows, Isaiah, Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter, uh, in Isaiah chapter 14, this is where uh, we get, through the prophetic word from Isaiah, a picture of where Satan and that temptation came from. That's what it says, Isaiah 14, talking about uh, Satan, the fallen angel Lucifer. It says, how you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. Here's why. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. See, that, that was Satan. I want to rise higher above God above God. He said, I'm moving on up to the top. God said, no, 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 no. You're coming back down. Right? Humble or stumble. That's the choice of pride in our hearts. Look at how many times Lucifer, Satan says in his heart, I will ascend. I will rise. I will raise. I will sit. I will ascend. I will make myself like the most high. In the middle of pride is I. In the middle of sin is I making much of ourselves, and pride always comes before a fall. There was in um, the city of Milan, Italy, there was um, uh, two great composers. Uh, some of you may have heard of Toscanini, a great Italian composer. There was another one named Moscagni, Moscagni. So both of these guys were great composers. Toscanini was a relative, I don't know much about him, but Moscagni was a bad man, evil man, wicked man, very, very prideful man. He was so, the kind of person like people would, would, would talk about him and they say, I can't believe he, someone would do such a thing like that. That's who Moscagni was. He once dedicated a musical score that he had written to himself. Who does that? Muscani does that. Prideful people do that. So in the city of Milan, there was going to be a music festival, and the organizers of the event said, hey, we would like for, because both of you are, like, amazing, we'd like both of you to conduct the orchestra together. So Tuscanini agreed, but Muscani said, you know what? His hatred for Tuscanini was, was not hidden. Like, he was very clear about it. He said, the only way I'll do it is if you pay me more than you pay Tuscanini. They said, fine, we agree to that. The festival happened, it went on, they did their thing, they were excellent. Well, round of applause. Uh, 
Mascagni gets his envelope, and in it was one, one Italian lira, which is t uh, compares to a few pennies. And you conduct an orchestra, and you open up your envelope, and you get a few pennies. Because Tuscanini said, I will do this for free. <laughs> and so Mascagni, the prideful one, the proud one, ended up with egg all over his Italian face, realizing, oh my gosh, pride comes before a fall. And everyone, everyone who knew was laughing at the pride and the folly of his own heart. Either we humble ourselves or we will stumble. So how do we do this? Here's a challenge, guys, because we know what pride is. It's making too much of myself. We think we know what humility is, making less of myself. But the problem is it's not that easy. It's not that easy because at the heart, it's an issue of worship, not an issue of behavior modification. So here's what we think humility is. I, I, I don't want to make a lot of myself. I'm going to make a little bit of myself. So when, when, when people make much of me, I'm going to make little of me. We think it's about making ourselves smaller. And you've heard me say this before probably. A lot of you have. Here's two false ways of humility that we go to. We, we uh, lead a time of worship and people are really blessed to it. Or um, people see us doing something for the church. Or they congratulate us for some great thing that we did um, by the grace of God. They say, you know what, you're really smart. Or, you know what, hey, I, thank God, man. That, thanks for leading us in, in worship. Thanks for preaching that word. Thank you for sharing that testimony. Here's what we think. I don't want to make myself too big, so I'm going to make myself smaller. See, here's what we say. Oh, no, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Thank, thank God. It was, it was all God. Do you hear people say that? After they, you know, serve in some way, you're our, our amazing house church leader. Thank you. Oh, no, it's not me. It's, it's, it's all God. Hey, thank you for sharing the gospel with me. No, no, it's not me. It's all God. Sometimes, though I understand the sentiment, the heartbeat of it, like here's what I, I want to say. No, it wasn't all God. Because if it was all God, it would have been better than if you had been in the way. I understand the heart of it, but sometimes it's, I would say it's prideful to think. No, no. There's, there was nothing that God has given to me that allowed me to be able to serve in this way. I think we need to understand that humility is not making less of ourselves and thinking less of ourselves. Another way that this happens is, hey, you know what? You're really great at guitar. You know what? You're really smart. You know what? You did a great job getting into that amazing school. And we think, oh, you know what? No, no. I'm really not that smart. I'm really not that smart. And then somebody, well, how smart are you? How did, what's your IQ? Oh, it's, it's not that high. It's actually really low. I'm actually pretty dumb. My IQ is only 150. And then someone next to you says, you know what? Um, you say you're really dumb at 150. My IQ is only 130. That must mean you're saying I'm really stupid, much more stupid than dumb. Do you see what it is? It's easy for us to fake humility, and it's not genuine humility because humility is not thinking less of ourselves it's thinking about ourselves less. Oh, Lord, it's so hard to see when my eyes are on me. But when we're looking at something else, then perhaps we can see clearly again. Because you see, majesty, prideful seeking of majesty is an issue of worship. Our problem is that we worship the wrong thing. Our problem is that we worship ourselves. 
And the way, the cure, the freedom to pride comes when we peel our eyes off of ourselves in self-worship and we lift our gaze upwards to another. The issue of a heart, the matter of the heart, who are we worshiping? You want to become humble people? You want to have relationships that are life-giving and thriving and not with wedges driven between them, not constantly fighting, not, God, I want to get over this gossip. I want to get over, I don't want to be envious of people. I want to really love people. And we lift our eyes upwards to worship the true and greater majestic one. What does that mean? There's only one who's worthy of our praise and worship. There's only one who is majestic beyond measure. The only one who's worthy of us looking at and saying he deserves all of our... There's only one of whom we ought to make much of with our lives. But in order to set us free from the snares and the grip of pride in our lives, he needed to come to us in order to free us. We couldn't free ourselves. And so what did he do? He left his mansions of glory didn't ride his private jet first class down to where we are, but he took the most humble route, the route of a baby coming through the birth canal of a 14, 16-year-old, a teenage virgin, poor girl, and born not into Winnie Palmer Hospital, but born into the home of common farm animals. Not placed in a nice Graco bed or a pack-and-play even, but placed in straw and hay, not wrapped in wonderful cute onesies that said just born, but wrapped in strips of burlap cloth around him, born to a common carpenter who was not rich by any standard, in fact, a couple so poor that they couldn't give a typical offering, they had to give the offering of those who live below the poverty line. That's how he came, this humble king. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He didn't live in a palace in Jerusalem or in a palace on a hill in Rome. He lived in a place, in fact, he said, I got no place to lay my head. He was a homeless wanderer for the better part of three and a half years of his life. No hotel credit card that he could show at any hotel in Jerusalem or in, in Palestine and in Capernaum that he could stay. He's wandering from place to place. On the final night of his life, he knelt down to do the job that the most humble, rank, vilest of servants, def most defiled servants would do, and he knelt down on his feet, on his knees, to wash the feet of 12 people who called him teacher, rabbi, lord, and master. And as he undid their, the straps of their sandals to wash them, undoubtedly there was a smell that rose from them. Nothing compared to the smell of the pride within the hearts of those who said, you, you will never wash my feet the hearts of pride that would say in just a couple hours, I don't know this man. I never knew him. 
who for 30 pieces of silver would sell him in order that he could be arrested, tried, and crucified. On the final day of his life, just a few hours later, the servant of servants, who the world didn't know at the time was actually the king of all kings, would die on the cross for the sin of all sins, not clothed in the royal regalia and robes of the king that he is, but stripped naked, humiliated, with a mock crown of thorns placed on him. Here is the king of the Jews. See, here, here in then lies genuine humility, Phillips Brooks says. It's not by you and me stooping to make ourselves smaller than we really are. That's false humility. Have you ever seen this where like a tall person takes a picture with a short person and they stoop down low in the picture? It just makes the picture look awkward. Whenever there's a bunch of girls and some of them are taller than others and, and you got to move over here and they do this like silly sorority squat, like it just makes everyone look stupid. I'm sorry to say it. That's not true humility. It's not stooping down to make ourselves lower than we really are. It's about standing up as tall as we can, as tall as we can. That's a right self-image, the way God made us to be dignified, worthy, made out of dust, but loved and made in the image of God. Stand as tall as we can, not compared to other people, but in light of the true king. And therein we begin to realize that at my tallest, we begin to realize the puniness of our supposed greatness. Therein lies humility. Not by me making less of myself, but standing upward, seeing the greatness of God, and then realizing as a result, wow, I think less. I think of myself far less than I used to. Come to this king, the humble king, the only king, the true king, and let him free us from the grip of pride in our lives and let's see the healing of our relationships, first with God and then with each other. Let's pray. Let's take a moment to pray right now from our living rooms, our online spaces, to those who are here in person. Do you struggle with pride? Do you struggle with wanting to make too much of yourself? The answer is not to make less of yourself. The answer is to make much of God. When you're so busy looking at God, He gives you eyes to see other people. He gives us eyes to see ourselves rightly. But when the biggest thing in our line of sight is ourselves, our world is a very small world. How are you doing with pride in your life? Let's take a few minutes, guys. Let's not let this moment, this message pass us by. Let's deal with this before it deals with us. Let's come before God and say, God, be magnified in my eyes. Be bigger. Be bigger. It's not thinking less of myself about thinking of myself less by thinking about God more. Let's pray together for a few moments, committing our hearts, our worship to God. Kneel me down before you. Show me how much you love humility. Let's pray for a couple moments like that, and I'll pray for us after.
Father in heaven, we thank you so much that the reality of sin is meant to drive us away from sin into a Savior. The word of God was given to reveal sin in us, but we realize that we can never fix or heal our sinful hearts ourselves. For that, we need a Savior. And the commands, the teachings, the law of God was meant to drive us to Christ. And so we run to you. We run to you and ask your forgiveness for the pride in our hearts, for things we've said, for things we've done, for outlooks on life, for the way that we've seen people, the way that we have done things and the way we haven't done things, the way we haven't prayed, the way we haven't depended on you, the way we haven't listened to others. Father, both sins that we've committed the sins that we've done by not doing things we ought to. Father, we pray that you would humble us before you. Jesus, you said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The mark of those in the kingdom are those who come knowing that we have nothing to offer. So, Lord, we pray we come with empty hands, only the sin that needs to be redeemed, but nothing that we can give to make ourselves better before you and asking that you would change us like only you can. So help us, Lord. May we see more of our King. May we see more of humility. May we see more of our humble King. And may that free the grip of pride in our hearts that we begin to change even now. We thank you so much. We love you because you've loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name.